challenge at Christmas time often is the celebratory tone that uh, kind of cakes and, and bakes the backdrop of everything around us. And yet, for many of us, um, there seems to be this, this struggle to the season. And I don't know if you can relate with that. I don't know if you've been out at the mall or around Starbucks or anywhere else and they're playing Christmas music. Have you heard it? And almost every Christmas uh, song is celebratory in nature. And that's a good thing. It's a great thing. In fact, I want you to turn to your neighborhood, the two or three people right around you, and you have 30 seconds. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell them your favorite Christmas carol, okay? So you got 28 seconds now. Ready, set, go. A couple people around you, your favorite Christmas carol. Favorite Christmas song? All right, so your favorite Christmas song, uh, hopefully you don't have like a dumb one, and um, I guess you and I can talk after, I'll tell you if it's dumb or not, but uh, maybe you've got a favorite Christmas song. So many of the songs that you hear out and about, are, some are silly, some are, are, are trivial, some are you know, fun and lighthearted and celebratory in nature, and yet uh, there's one song that maybe you've heard in the past that kind of sums up the season for some people, and it's kind of the color of the night, and it, maybe you've heard this uh, Elvis sing this song. I think I gave it. Everybody. Without you. How many of you grew up hearing this song? Yes, many of you. Many of you. Many of you. Blue Christmas, and uh, even though I'm an Elvis fan, I enjoy Elvis music, but uh, you know, there's something about that song that, that speaks to this idea of the, the sorrow side of Christmas, and yet so much of what we're called to be about in Christmas is the celebratory side, and I wonder if for some of you, uh, there might be a little bit more of a blue Christmas in the backdrop. Uh, maybe some things that you have faced. Maybe there's some things that you wanted to have happen uh, this Christmas season or by the end of this year and you're just realizing the reality that it's not gonna unfold for you, that it wasn't in the cards, it didn't play out the way you anticipated, uh, things that you were kind of hoping for and that you understood. And we've been looking at the colors of Christmas. Last week we looked at the color uh, green and we thought, you know, the Christmas story, if you really go back, comes out of great darkness because it's 400 years of silence from the last time that God's communicated with his people in the Old Testament to these 400 years of silence. And nothing seems to be working, but in reality we looked at how God had been shaping history to get ready for this moment where his Messiah, where the Messiah would show up and his, the Savior would arrive for people and it would burst, much like winter kind of goes into the season where it seems dormant, but then spring kind of burst forth. That was last week, and this week I wanna look at this color of blue, and the reality that um, though the season is festive and has lots of festivity to it, for some people, they just don't feel very festive. And there's a reality of that that may face you in this season of life, for some of you, you may be like, hey, you know, it's pretty good. Life hasn't been that rough. Well, wait a few years. 
because uh, my hunch is some things are gonna take a turn around the corner for you and you're gonna find yourself maybe feeling blue a little bit. And tonight I want us to look back at this very first Christmas season. I want us to see some things that are unfolding behind the scenes, and I want you to kind of understand where this blue Christmas comes from. It's kind of like, uh, have you ever had your eyes dilated, or maybe if you wear glasses, try to do something without them, or if you've, uh, my wife had LASIK eye surgery, and before that, like, she was blind. Like, she couldn't see anything without her glasses, and it was like that pure blurriness or if you've had your eyes dilated, you can't see very well, there's like this blur to it. And I think for some people, they approach this season of time and they kind of feel like that. That they see the colors and they see the brightness and they see the beauty and they hear people talk about it. But in essence, all they're seeing, seeing for themselves is this blurriness and it's not clear, it's not crisp for them. There's a, a tone to it, a blue tone, if you will, uh, of sorrow and some regret, maybe from things in their past or just the ways they wish things had worked out and it just didn't go that way. Maybe it's a relationship that you had hoped would be at a much healthier spot and the reality is it, it just kind of caved out on you. And, and you tried and you worked at it and, and you wanted, but it just didn't go the way you had hoped. Maybe there were some different things uh, financially that you wanted to see happen and that didn't happen. In fact, it kind of turned for the worse in that. And sometimes we need to be reminded that in those blue moments of life, that God's joy can break into these things. In fact, we'll end tonight looking at this reality, that God's joy is not circumstantial. It's bigger than that. In fact, the psalmist reminds us here, Psalm 30 says, sing to the Lord, all you godly ones. Praise his holy name. That praise is this thing that's supposed to happen all the time. It's not uh, when you feel like it, if you feel like it. It's, hey, let praise be on your lips. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning, the psalmist says. It's this idea that God's at work behind the scenes in the, the high point moments of life when life is great. And you know what, he's just as much at work in those valley moments of life where it feels like life might be caving in on you. And we looked at this idea last week, the whole start of the Christmas story in Luke chapter two. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you have a phone, uh, a smartphone, probably not a dumb phone, but if you have a smartphone, you can follow along on version, and you can see all the notes and stuff we're gonna look at there. Uh, just look on live events and you'll find it. But in Luke 2, in those days, Caesar Augustus issues this decree that he's gonna take this census and everybody has to go back to their hometown. Now, I want you to think about that from Mary and Joseph's point of view. Because here's what we know about the Christmas story. Hey, Mary and Joseph had to go on a trip and Jesus was born there. Woo, woo. And we don't really think about the stress from Mary and Joseph's point of view. This was probably a very blue Christmas for Mary and Joseph. So can we just journey a little bit with that? Think about the relational stressors that would have been in their world at that moment in their life. Think about all the relational stress that would have been going on. Uh, they're engaged to be married and Mary's pregnant. Now in the first century world, an unexpected pregnancy like that it, it, we kind of see that and go, okay, well, that's the way it is. But in that century, in that world, in that backdrop, that would have been like, whoa, right? Like it just didn't happen. And then the story, <laughs> uh, Joseph, I'm pregnant uh, with, with God's baby. 
<laughs> right, right. Um, so I'm supposed to believe that? Uh, and so can you imagine from Joseph's point of view, could you imagine Joseph's friends who are talking to him saying, hey, uh, whoa, dude, um, you, you're being duped here, okay? This whole idea that this is God's child and this is immaculate you know, conception type thing, this, like, that doesn't happen in history, like, ever. Um, and so I, I think you're kind of, you're getting a, a snow job here. Like, this can't be the real story. In fact, the scriptures tell us that Joseph is going to end up kind of divorcing Mary, and he wants to do it quietly because he's a good man. Because in reality, in the first century, is if this played out, what would happen to her in a Jewish setting was that she was to be stoned to death. And Joseph's going, well, I don't want that. And so he has it in his mind to divorce. And, and I think people were probably pressuring that. Don't you think that was happening? Just relational stressors of going on. Think about the backdrop of this story of what it really would have been like to be there in that moment. And all the relational stress. Those of you who've been married, uh, raise your hand. You've been married, remember your first year of marriage? And all the stressors of getting to know someone who you're like sharing proximity with and like a bank account with and life with and all this kind of stuff and like sharing toothpaste with? I squeeze from the middle, that's what I do, okay? And uh, my wife likes to roll it. That's pointless to me. Um, I just don't see how that would work. So we solved the problem after great tension that we each got our own toothpaste tube and it worked out much better that way. And so think about all the little stressors that you have in the first year of marriage, and here they are, facing this on like steroids of all the things that were going on in their life. Relational stress, like crazy for them. This unexpected pregnancy, the rumors and the whispers that would have been behind their back as they walked down the street to get bread. And all the people who would have said things, Dr. Holmes, Dr. Ray, created this stress test, maybe you've seen it online, of kind of saying here's some indicators in life that if you hit uh, these things and you have all these different things going on, if you get over like a score of 300, then you can literally physically become ill because of stress, marriage, marriage reconciliation, pregnancy, adding a new family member, change in financial status, all these things, if you add them up, if you would add them up for Mary and Joseph, they are well over 300. <coughs> and that's the relational stress that's going on in their life. I remember when Amy and I uh, moved back here to Arizona, uh, she had finished up her internship. She's nine months pregnant. She has our first child, and 10 days later, she graduates college and walks. Like at her college graduation, we've packed up the house, my dad and my father-in-law have flown in, and we move, and we end up living in one bedroom in my in-law's house for like the next three months with a brand new baby. Stress city. But I'd like to know that my in-laws are amazing people, and uh, they are here tonight. I love you. Okay, so. <clears throat> they were angels. But think about all the stress that's compact in such a short amount of time and this relational stress that's the backdrop of their life and what's going on. And think about your own life. Do you have some relational stressors going on right now? Some relationships that you wish um, were happening where we're thriving on a better level but they're strained, they're struggling. 
it's a pull and a tension to try to move forward. Maybe you lost a job this year. Maybe you're starting a brand new job. Maybe it's not the job you actually want, but it's something just to put food on the table and you've got that. Maybe you're looking for one. The financial stressors that maybe have happened and unfolded for you this life. Maybe this relational tension that's going on that you wish would be solved like a sitcom always seems to solve them in 30 minutes and it's not the reality for your life. Maybe you're looking around this Christmas and there's an empty seat at the table. Maybe it's a divorce that happened. Maybe it's a death in the family. And maybe uh, like Lyle and maybe like me, I'm looking at, this is 10 years this year that my mom died three days after Christmas. And so every year it kind of comes back and there's this blue tint that kind of comes to the season. It's still celebratory, but in a lot of ways this tint, this film kind of gets placed over it. And I don't know, maybe that's for you. Maybe this relational stress is part of your life. Think about the physical stress. Uh, Ladies who have given birth, you're nine months pregnant, how'd you like to run three marathons? Because that's what Mary did. They gotta leave and go 70 miles to Bethlehem. It's not like there's an Amtrak train they can hop on. It's not like they can fly southwest. It's not like, you know, Joseph can pull out his Uber app and pull up an Uber donkey. It's they've got to figure out how to get to Bethlehem, 70 miles away, and you walk. Imagine that at nine months pregnant. You've got to walk over this terrain for 70 miles to get to a place that you haven't been to in a while. And you don't even want to go there, but you're being forced to go there. So you've got this physical stress that's going on. You've got to take all of the, all the provisions for you. I mean, traveling's stressful, right? Am I right? I mean, you've traveled before and you have an airplane to go to. And you've got to pack your bag in a small enough bag that you can either fit it with you or take it with you and then you hope it gets there, right? Or you've got to stay up, anyone uh, pack like I do, like up till midnight or 1 a.m. the night before you're leaving at 5 a.m.? because you've waited so long. So there's stress that comes with traveling. They've got to figure out all these things. And then they get there. You ever been in a town where all the hotels are taken and you're trying to find a room? And they show up and Joseph goes to lobby after lobby after lobby and gets rejection after rejection after rejection. Comes back to Mary and Mary says, hey, by the way, while you were gone, my water broke. And all of a sudden, they've got access to this cave-like place. There's no room for them in the inn. And all of a sudden, this carpenter is thrust into being a doctor in a makeshift emergency room. (laughs) Think about that stress. This physical stress that's going on. A financial stress. Here's the reality of this financial stress. The reason they're going to Bethlehem is not to make more money, is it? The reason they're going to Bethlehem is so they can be counted, not to get on a Roman like uh, big time email plan that everyone gets nice little emoticons sent to them. No, the reason they're going is so that they can be counted in order to be taxed more. Their taxes are going up, yet the number of mouths they gotta feed is going up as well. And they're just listening to the siphoning of their checking account, having to go a little bit deeper and dig a little harder to try to make it. There's financial stress that's going on. There's this emotional stress. Think about the reality of having to weigh all of the whispers that you hear around you, all the stress of the unknown, 
the travel of going to a foreign place, being thrust into being new parents for the first time. This idea of all these stories that you've been told, the things that the angels have mentioned, and yet here you are and you didn't make it to Ritz-Carlton. You made it to a cave. And I wonder if in that moment you're questioning. I would be. God, are you sure? Like, this is your kid? This is the savior of the world that you're telling me? And we can't even find a room at the hotel? I don't know if you ever feel that way. I do, at times. When it seems like it's supposed to play out a different way. And the reality is, God's got something going. In fact, if you look down in, uh, further on in chapter two, they, uh, Jesus is born and there's a few days that go by and then they show up at the temple and they're there as a part of the ceremony that they're supposed to do. It's part of the Jewish law and they're there and they, and they go and they look here in verse, um, verse 25. Uh, it says this, now there's a man in Jerusalem called Simon. He was a righteous and devout man. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Moved one day, he went into the temple courts and when the parents had brought the child Jesus to do with him the custom of the law required, Simon took him in his arms and he praised God saying, listen to this blessing that he's speaking. Sovereign Lord, as you promised, you can dismiss me now for my eyes have seen your salvation which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation for the Gentiles, for all people groups to see. He's a savior. He's the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother were amazed. So think about all this relational stress, all this physical stress, all this emotional stress, the financial stress that's going on. This is a blue Christmas. And yet even in the backdrop of the blue Christmas they're experiencing, God's at work, and I think he's sending little things along the way to remember and to provide, to say, here's, here's my provision for you, that I know it seems like things aren't going the way that you had hoped. I know it feels like things aren't the way they're supposed to be, but I want you to know I'm still at work, and I'm gonna send little surprises along the way that you might know that I haven't forgotten you, that I'm still at work, and I'm at work in your life. He goes on, he gives this blessing, then he says some other words. Uh, They're surprised by these. This child is destined, he goes on to say, uh, to cause the failing and rising of many in Israel. To be a sign uh, will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many, uh, many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul, Mary. What? Like, when people in my e-group, they have a baby, we show up with food and like a little baby gift. Like, that's natural. We don't show up and like whisper a blessing and then like, oh, by the way, your soul's gonna be pierced. What? <laughs> like, that just doesn't sound, that's like taboo. That's socially awkward, isn't it? And I think what God's saying here, in a lot of ways, it's Mary, you have a preconceived idea of how this is gonna go, and you need to be reminded and remember <laughs> that my plans are not like your plans. They're much, much bigger. And I will bless, and I will be active, 
But my plans will play out. You need to be reminded the story is much bigger than just you. And it goes earlier on, it talks about Mary treasuring all these things because who shows up on the night of the birth? Well, the shepherds do. The shepherds show up and they're glorifying God and I'm sure they're telling the story of what they saw as all these angels lit up the sky and their whole world has changed and they come in with this great enthusiasm and I bet Mary and Joseph, I bet they needed that that night. I bet that had been a tough, tough day. And all of a sudden, God sends a message through these shepherds. Here's what it's gonna be. Later on, these wise men would show up. We're gonna look at that a little bit next week. And they would bring these gifts. And I think in a lot of ways, God would use that to stir their hearts again. Angels would show up uh, at different moments as Joseph is thinking about divorce and should I just let this go? And an angel shows up and says, Joseph, I know that seems crazy, but this is a God story. And they're kind of crazy and it's gonna be okay. You take Mary as your wife. All the angels of visits throughout this whole story of Christmas that you begin to see. And, and I wonder if you think back into your life and the relational stresses and all the different stressors that have been a part of your backdrop and a part of the things, for some of you, uh, stories I know a little bit of that are, are struggles, I know. And if you and I were just sitting at the coffee shop hanging out and talking, uh, and we could be real. My heart would break for some of you. I know the stories that you have in the past. I know uh, the darkness that resides maybe in your home, that resides in part of what you've been uh, a part of, things that have happened to you, uh, or choices that you've made that have kind of detoured you in a way that you wish was different. And I know. I know it's a struggle. And I know it's tough in the sense of trying to understand, but I think what this Christmas story is telling us about a blue Christmas is the reality that God's promises and presence surprise us in the middle of the difficulties of our life. That God's surprises of his provision and his presence show up in the middle of our difficulties. I think it's the shepherd's visit that night that in the middle of a really, really tough day, they're surprised by these visitors who bring a good news of what they've heard about their child. And I bet that kind of put a little sail into, a little wind into their sails. I bet that kind of lifted their heart a little bit. This blessing that comes from Simon and later on from Anna, you can read it in Luke chapter two, there in the temple, and just I bet those moments were life-giving. I think that's why the scriptures tell us that Mary treasured these in her heart because we know the backdrop of the stress that would have been going on. I think there's another truth here that in the blue moments of life, there are still God's provisional movements in your life. So there's still gonna be moments where God is moving in your life in a way that no matter what the, the difficulties or the shade or tint of the season might be, that God's movement is still very active. His activity is alive and moving in your life. See, life doesn't have to be perfect for you to experience God's joy. Life doesn't have to be perfect for you to experience life's joy because joy is greater than happiness. Happiness is all about external or circumstantial things and when things are great, then you can be happy. But you can be a joy-filled person even when the circumstances don't feel the way they should. 
You know, I uh, did a funeral yesterday for a friend. Uh, I'd just done their wedding in April. Both had lost spouses, had found one another, and here she is um, having to bury another husband. And Christmas is gonna be tough. And you know that pain. You know it may be a different thing, but you know that pain. But in the midst of that, we can still find joy because God's movements of his provision and his activity and his presence can still be alive and active in our hearts and in our lives. And he, I think God loves to surprise his people. And I think God loves to surprise his children who are struggling. I know I do that with my kids, don't you? That when your kids are struggling with something, don't you just love to come up and just surprise them with help or with assistance or with things? And I'm, I try not to take all of it away because I want that struggle to be there because it's actually for their good. If I just rescued them all the time, that it wouldn't be a part of shaping their character and shaping who they are and for them to have endurance and perseverance. But I wanna be a dad who comes alongside and helps. And I think our Heavenly Father loves to do that as well. I think you see that all throughout this Christmas story. Ultimately, God's joy can meet you in, the, in every blue moment you have, and he can pull you through. And so it may feel like more of a blue or more of a downer time, but I think the reality is we all know that season. And what we want in those moments is to know that God hasn't left, he hasn't quit, he hasn't abandoned for someone better. He's still there, and he's still active. And I think that's what we see throughout the Christmas story. And so as you navigate this Christmas season, for those of you who are having a blue Christmas, my prayer for you this week is that God would surprise you. And <laughs> he would just surprise you with his movements, his activity, his presence, his provision, in a way that would catch you off guard and that you would be reminded, friend, that you are noticed and you are known and God still loves you and he is active in your life. And for those of you who may be in a really good spot right now, here's what I'd love for you to do. There are people around you in, at work or at school or in your networks of where you're navigating life with who are having a blue Christmas. And this may be a time that's filled with great festivity, but not every heart is festive. And as believers, as those who are trying to follow Jesus or those who are investigating who Jesus really is, I think maybe part of our journey could be that we just practice Romans 12, 15, which is rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. That as we live that out in a practical way, that as you face someone or find someone that has a blue Christmas kind of happening, that you would be God's presence in their life, not trying to fix everything necessarily, but to be active and to be present in their life, to sit with them, to walk with them, to walk beside them, that they're not alone. And they would sense maybe God's presence in and through you as you love. You know, we're gonna continue on with our service. Uh, we're gonna, this is usually a time where we take communion. Uh, here in a moment, if you're a follower of Jesus, I invite you to do that. We've got communion stations in the middle here and down front. And uh, we're gonna continue on with a couple worship songs. 
And here's what I'd love for you to do in these uh, next few moments, is just maybe think back over your own life. Maybe the difficult seasons that you've had to navigate. And I want you to think about maybe how you saw God's activity, his presence, his provisions surprising you in those moments. And I want you to take a moment before you take communion and just thank him for that. Just say, God, that was a tough season. That was a tough year. That was a tough six months. That was a tough relationship breakup. That was a tough whatever it is for you. And I saw you active in my life. And I just want to say thanks again for that. I needed that. And you are active in this Christmas story because you're a God who's active in every story. You're a God who's active in my story. And maybe at the same time, you take a moment and pray. God, is there someone around in my network connections that might be having a blue Christmas, might be struggling a little bit, that maybe you could use me to kind of shine a little bit of light brightly and in a way that's comforting to them, that just comes alongside them. And so, Father, that's what I pray and ask for as we move toward a time of recognizing that what we remember in communion is that you sent your Savior, you sent the Messiah, you sent Jesus to save us, to rescue us. Father, it's through his life and his death and his resurrection that we get to have life with you. And we're so grateful for that. Father, you're a God who was not silent for so many years. You were actually very active behind the scenes, setting the stage for your son to arrive, that a world would see and news would spread. And at the same time for Mary and Joseph, as we just dial into their life, we realize how stressful it must have been We know that stress in our own lives. And you were active in their life and you were surprising and your provision and presence was there and it is with us too. And we thank you for that. And we pray that maybe this week we would be sent out as active agents for you in a world where there's a lot of festivity going on and that's great, we wanna celebrate that. But Father, not every heart is festive. And so would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear how we can help be your presence, maybe be part of the provision of letting people know that they're noticed, that they're known, that they're loved, that there is joy and hope available. And it doesn't mean all the circumstances of difficulty fade or are solved. It just means that you're there with them. You are Emmanuel. You are God with us. You're not distant, you're not distracted. You are dialed in. And so Father, I pray for each heart here. You'd help us be reminded, refreshed, and that you give us eyes to see that we might be part of your refreshing work in this world to the people around us. Give us a heart for that. As we remember the sacrifice, the life, the death, the resurrection of your son, how we have a relationship with you and as we worship you in these moments ahead.